0: Morning everyone. I just want to say I really appreciated the special. I don't know who chose that song. I wasn't familiar with it, but I was really blessed by it. So thank you for the those involved in practicing and thank you for the whoever chose that and had the idea to perform it. It was wonderful. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you I know I say that each week, Lord, but I don't I don't have any other words to describe our appreciation. And we come here grateful for it. We know there are individuals who don't have your word who are unreached even by the gospel itself say nothing about the wholeness of scripture and so let us not take for granted the great blessing it is for us to be able to sit here today with countless uh, bibles available to us and even just have it preached to us lord i know there are individuals who would love to have who pastors come to be able to preach to them lord and so i I do pray we would have anticipation about what you want to say to us i'd probably be enthusiastic to hear from you and I pray, Lord, that you just use me to do justice to the verses we look at. I know we are discussing babies going to heaven, but I th- feel like that's almost a secondary issue or really a product of the, of the great truths that we're discussing this morning. And so give us uh, attentiveness, attentive ears, but even more so attentive hearts. I know everyone's busy, Lord. We come here with many um, distractions that could tug on us. And help us to remove them lord and just to be to be disciplined to hear from you i pray for your word to continue that work of sanctifying us and i would pray for those who were who were unsaved that they would be born again by your word i pray that today would be the day of salvation for them and that they'd see their need for christ and we pray these things in his name amen the title of this morning's sermon is sin is not imputed where there is no law sin is not imputed where there is no law so on sunday mornings we briefly paused our verse-by-verse study through luke's gospel because we reached one of the most um, powerful statements from christ about the kingdom of god belonging to infants or babies the disciples tried to prevent (laughs) parents not a not a you know a high point for the disciples to prevent parents from bringing their babies to jesus and then jesus rebukes the disciples and then says that the kingdom of god belongs not just to babies but to those who are like children and we'll talk more about that when we read to luke but really i wanted us to understand why jesus made that statement and so these sermons are going to serve as a foundation to help us understand that statement from christ when we head back to luke we're going to begin with romans 1. now what i'd like to tell you is if you're saying Well, it's not really, you know, it's kind of a settled issue for me. Perhaps you sit here, and this could be the case for most of you, that babies going to heaven is a settled issue. And so you might be inclined to perhaps not listen as well. But I just want to tell you that what we're talking about this morning are truths that are very important unrelated to babies going to heaven. We're talking about very important truths this morning that even if you heard nothing about babies whatsoever are still run, wonderful treasures for us to glean and to um, take with us and so i've been blessed by this studying it's it's uh, been a been precious to me and i would hope the same for you we're going to begin at romans 1. we'll be here before we reach romans 5 later in the sermon so if you want to turn to romans 1 <clears throat> and while you do i want to briefly explain what's happening in these early chapters if anyone's familiar with ray comfort and kirk cameron's way of the master their primary approach is to help people see their sinfulness because the idea is if people don't see their sinfulness they do not see their need for salvation or if they don't see their their sin then they don't see their need to be saved and so before presenting the gospel to people And you've watched ray comfort do this frequently there's probably hundreds of videos of him doing his street evangelism you know at at an open-air microphone talking to people about their sinfulness before preaching the gospel to them well the reason i mention that is that's largely the approach that paul takes in romans he does not start explaining the gospel until chapter until halfway through chapter three he first takes these early chapters one through the first half of chapter 3 To help people see their sinfulness so that they see their need to be saved now we're not going to look at all these all these examples of uh, why we should be convinced that we're sinful in these in these early verses but we are going to start at romans 1 verse 18 for context we go through these verses pretty quickly to build up to one verse in particular so verse 18 it says the wrath of god's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth and right there this helps us understand what the gospel does it delivers us from what you see it at the beginning of verse 18 what does the gospel do it delivers us from the wrath of god that's right and i want you to notice the end of the verse says the people do what with the truth they suppress it it gives the impression that they're like pressing it down stuffing it down attempting to deny it because people can only suppress truth that has been made known to them if they were ignorant of that truth they would not be able to suppress it now the question is what is the truth that they're suppressing the truth that there is a creator that is the truth that people suppress that there is a creator they deny that god exists look at verse 19. For what can be made known or excuse me for what can be known about god is plain to them because god has shown it to them and i just want you to notice the phrase is plain to them the truth that god exists is a plain or simple truth it is not complicated it is not difficult to understand instead what is actually difficult believing that god doesn't exist what is complicated convincing people that the universe created itself that's when things get complicated how does god plainly reveal his existence to us he does that through creation look in verse 20. Paul says for god's invisible attributes namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so a few things in these verses the phrase have been clearly perceived that phrase have been clearly per- clearly perceived is synonymous with is plain to them creation itself is the evidence for God and it is overwhelming the painting has a the painting you see a painting you know there's a you see a building you know there's been a a builder you've got the invention you know there's been an inventor and similarly you see creation and you know that there has been a creator behind it that the universe did not create itself and not only that because of the greatness and the majesty of creation it is evidence also that the creator is great and majestic if the creation itself is great and majestic and vast well then the creator himself is going to be great and majestic and vast in power or we're even told two of the things that we can learn about god from his creation paul says that he has eternal power and he has a divine nature so for a creator to create something as great as the creation around us would require eternal or essentially infinite power and that individual would have to be divine he would have to have a divine nature only a being with these qualities could create the universe that we live in Think of this verse, Psalm 19:1. "The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. When we look at the universe, it gives God glory. Creation's the display case for God's beauty and His majesty and His greatness. And just a small thing to offer if you're a parent, when you're looking at creation, and you have one of your children with you, and they see something that impresses them that is an opportunity for you to direct their attention to God talk about God's greatness and being able to create that or your children just happen to notice how many different trees there are or how many different animals there are well that is an opportunity not to go into a super deep science lesson unless you're going to use that super deep science lesson to also point those children toward toward the Lord Isaiah receives his famous vision Of the throne room of god isaiah 6 before his commissioning later in the chapter the angels are flying around the throne they're calling out to each other and one angel isaiah 6 3 it says one angel called to another angel and said holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory so the angels themselves recognize that creation itself reveals god's glory and as a result of that recognition or revelation they worship God for it now because the evidence for God is so strong when people deny it we didn't go fully through verse 20. so go ahead and pick up with me at the end of verse 20. because the evidence for God is so strong when people deny it they are without excuse so they are without excuse and then verse 21 for although they knew God they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened now right there where it says they knew God this is similar to that discussion of people suppressing the truth did you know that every atheist or in a sense you could argue there's no such thing as an atheist there are individuals who claim to be atheists but based on this verse it actually tells us that every single person who would identify as an atheist knows God exists do you see that there although they knew god they know god they know of god doesn't mean they know him personally but they know of god because creation itself has revealed him to them so the problem is not that man does not know god the problem is that man does know god but as verse 18 says he suppresses that truth he pushes it down he tries to deny it and why would man do that because he doesn't want to do the two things that verse 21 describes or says man should do so why would man suppress the truth of God or attempt to deny God's existence because man doesn't want to do the two things verse 21 commands man to do does anyone see the two things we should do when we recognize there's a creator what should we do honor him as God because of his greatness he deserves to be honored or he deserves to be worshiped and then the second thing he deserves what's that to be given thanks because of what he's done for us he deserves to be given thanks now if you just think about it for a moment if you just give me your attention it is actually unbelievable to me that there are people who would not give God thanks that is unfathomable he's given them life he's given them breath He's given them all things. He's given them families, many of them. He's given them children. He's given them marriage. He's given them friendships. He's given them a beautiful creation to enjoy. If they hadn't rejected him, he could have given them a son who was willing to take the punishment for their sins. And so ingratitude truly is one of our worst sins ingratitude is one of our worst sins to be able to live daily with no thought about god and what he's done for us is a horrendous sin that many people commit now when man rejects god it says that he becomes futile in his thinking and what that means is he believes or chooses instead of believing god to believe absurd things such as we came from apes or we came from fish or the universe exploded and created itself through that expo- explosion that is that's feudal thinking or that's foolish thinking as the next verse says they claimed to be wise but they became fools or claiming to be wise they became fools now last Sunday night some of you joined us when we watched the movie Evolution versus God and throughout that movie the individuals who identified as atheists many of them had at least some within the scientific community actually had no problem saying we're related to fish they had no problem saying that we're related to to different animals and one of the common themes with many of these individuals who were interviewed was they claimed just like the verse says here to be wise it was a commonality among them but in the process they were revealing their foolishness now what does this have to do with babies these verses cannot apply to babies and this brings us to lesson one lesson one babies haven't committed disqualifying sins lesson one babies have not committed disqualifying sins when i say disqualifying i mean sins disqualifying them from heaven to be clear they have not committed sins that would disqualify them from heaven for example if we just use this passage or these verses that i've covered we see that man is condemned or without excuse or disqualified if he doesn't recognize creation has a creator honor or worship God or give God thanks but it's very hard to argue that babies could do any of these things or the babies would be disqualified from heaven for not doing these things especially while those babies are still in the womb right babies are not swimming around in amniotic fluid thinking wow this is so great to have been created there must be a creator they're not swimming around in amniotic fluid saying "Wow, what a wonderful creation there must be out there i can't wait to be born and then worship or honor the god who's knitting me together in the womb or give him thanks for my existence let me show you something similar turn to the right to the next book of the bible first corinthians 6. But while you turn there, I suppose one thing you could be thinking about is if you're not a baby, then you are without excuse. You have no reason not to be recognizing the Creator, honoring Him, and giving Him thanks. Numerous places in Scripture reveal that people do not inherit the kingdom of God because of sins they commit. We could look in Galatians 5. You don't have to turn there. We could look in Ephesians 5 for a very similar list. But we're going to look at corinthians because it's the closest book to where we were in romans now in first corinthians 6 look with me at verse 9 i'll read these verses quickly paul says do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of god he says do not be deceived neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers nor men who practice homosexuality nor thieves nor the greedy nor drunkards nor revilers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of god now stay here in first corinthians 6 because there's one more verse I want to show you but for now listen to these verses from revelation that say something similar but in particular describe people in hell or describe people in the lake of fire this is revelation 21 verse 8. it says the cowardly the faithless the detestable as for murderers the sexually immoral sorcerers idolaters and all liars their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur which is the second death So just like the people in first corinthians don't inherit the kingdom of god because of the sins they committed these people find themselves in the lake of fire because of the sins they committed now i don't know about you but when i read this list or these lists i become pretty concerned because i've committed some of these sins i mean you're kind of going through the list and maybe you escape a couple of the sins but more than likely there's at least a few other ones that do apply to you so we are described in these verses and so what that means if is if we don't repent and stop being these people then we also will not inherit the kingdom of God or we also will find ourselves in the lake of fire which is why hopefully if you're still in 1 Corinthians 6 in verse 10 you can see the way that Paul describes believers or excuse me, verse eleven in First Corinthians six, verse eleven, he says, "What such were, such were some of you, as though you're not these individuals anymore, because you have repented, put your faith in Christ." He says, "You were washed, you're sanctified, you're justified, or declared righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of our God." And so, through repentance in Christ, we stop being these people. We're born again we're new creations second Corinthians 5 17 if anyone is in Christ he's a new creation the old's passed away behold the new has come and I hope that I hope that can be as encouraging to you as it is to me because maybe you look at this verse and you're like well I've been an adulterer I've been an idolater I've been sexually immoral I've been a drunkard I've been a liar well when you're born again God doesn't look at you and see you that way he sees you as a new creation in Christ he sees you as you are in Christ he does not see you as that sinner that you it doesn't mean you don't keep sinning but God doesn't see you as that sinner you were before because he sees you in Christ himself he doesn't look down and see you as that idolater that liar that sexually immoral person that drunkard any longer now what does this have to do with babies the verses in first Corinthians 6 and Revelation 21 you might have noticed notice this it's not actually a list of sins it's a list of sinners in other words it doesn't list sins people committed it lists sinners themselves in other words it doesn't say lies it says liars it doesn't say idolatry it says idolaters so my point is these are not verses describing what people did these are lists describing what people are these people are these things they are it's not that they it's not just that they committed idolatry it's that they are idolaters it's not just that they fornicated it's that they are fornicators well what's my point my point is i can't imagine anyone arguing that babies are any of these things so we're told we're given a list of people who do not inherit the kingdom of god We're given another list of people who find themselves in the lake of fire now there are lots of words you might use to describe a baby let's just say when you're exhausted from being woken up throughout the night right you could look at a baby and there are lots of words you can use you might say this baby is difficult or this baby is trying or this baby is exhausting or wearying or draining or fatiguing there's a bunch of mothers in here saying amen to this But nobody ever looks down at that baby and says you know this baby is an adulterer or this baby is a drunkard or this baby is a liar in other words nobody looks at a baby and says that a baby is one of these people who do not inherit the kingdom of god or that find themselves in the lake of fire because of these sins and these verses complement jesus's words very well in luke 18 because these verses are about people who will not inherit the kingdom of God but in Luke 18 what did Jesus say about babies he actually said the kingdom of God belongs to them so these verses are about people whom the kingdom of God does not belong to and in Luke 18 Jesus says the kingdom of God does belong to babies and people who are Luke 18:16. let the children come to me do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God the kingdom of God is for them r a webb he wrote a book called the theology of infant salvation i want to read a brief quote from this he said if an infant went to hell for no other reason than original sin in other words having not personally committed any sins themselves but finds himself or herself there for no other reason than original sin it would know suffering but it would have no understanding of the reason for its suffering the whole meaning and significance of its suffering would be to the baby a conscious conscious mystery such an infant would know that it was in hell but it would not be able to explain why it was there so r.a webb's point is because an infant has not consciously engaged in sin there would be no understanding of having disobeyed god now if we find ourselves in hell we're not going to have any trouble understanding why we're there or how we have disobeyed god but for a baby there would be no understanding of god's judgment or why it finds itself in this suffering now one of the things you might have noticed that r.a webb mentioned is original sin and understanding original sin is important to this discussion of babies going to heaven because there is a nagging question even if a baby in the womb has not sinned we know that that baby is still although not born yet being created with what original sin a sin nature and this brings us to lesson two sin nature is different than sinning sin nature is different than sinning original sin refers to the original sin adam committed that gave all of us sin natures it is the moral corruption we possess that produces a dispense a di- not dispensation a disposition in us toward sinful behavior or even habitually sinful behavior it's what god was talking about in genesis 8:21 when he said the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth just one more time god looked at man and this is after the flood this is post flood even after flooding the world in other words the flood did not cleanse man of his sinful nature Genesis 8 21 God said the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth we see it with our children what do you not have to teach your children to do lie make excuses get upset be selfish mistreat others we have to teach them not to do this they do all of these things on their own what are things you do have to teach your child To be selfless versus selfish kind versus unkind giving versus not giving but having a sin nature or having a propensity towards sin is not the same as sinning we have sin natures but it doesn't mean we sin every second even with our sin natures we don't think that that means we're constantly sinning so let's consider the strongest so and so my point is we recognize that even with our sin natures it doesn't mean that we're constantly sinning so we can recognize that a baby can have a sin nature without sinning let me just go over a couple of the strongest verses about original sin or about sin natures psalm 51 5 david said behold i was brought forth or conceived in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me now most scholars believe david was lamenting being conceived with a sin nature versus confessing sin that he had committed in the womb i don't know of any commentators who look at this verse and think that david is confessing sin that he's committed while being knit together in his mother's womb another psalm david wrote seems to substantiate this psalm 58 3 he said the wicked are estranged from the womb they go astray from birth speaking lies So in two different ways, David seems to say that even wicked people, what's interesting about this verse is if he was discussing godly people, you could say, well, David's talking about godly people, what if he's talking about ungodly or wicked people? Well, he is talking about wicked people, and he says that even wicked people, I mean, if anyone was going to start sinning in the womb, wouldn't it be wicked people? But even David says the wicked are estranged from the womb, or after they're born. They go astray from birth or after birth speaking lies so David acknowledges under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit the babies do not begin committing sin until after that's they are born that's when they start going astray now it begs the question though what about after the womb am I saying that just because a baby starts going astray after it's born that the moment a baby's born it has the potential to go to hell if babies can go astray when they are born does that mean there's no guarantee of a uh, born baby's (laughs) salvation the answer is no because sin is not imputed to them and this brings us to lesson three sin is not imputed to babies sin is not imputed to babies I want to briefly explain imputation because it's not a word that we commonly use, but it's a super important word scripturally, so we should understand it. Impute or imputation is actually a financial term. It refers to moving money from one account to another or one side of a ledger to another. So imputation means to credit or to charge an action to someone else. Now, we've already talked about one of the most common examples of imputation in Scripture, and that occurred with Adam. Adam's sin was imputed to you, or Adam's sin was credited to you and to all of his descendants. Adam's sin is reckoned to us as though we did it. Adam's sin became our sin. It is as though when Adam sinned, he sinned in your place, or you sinned as Adam, or Adam sinned as you, whoever you want to look at it now this does not mean that we committed adam's sin ourselves but it does mean we are as guilty as adam is because it's imputed to us now because adam's sin is imputed to us we also receive the same penalty that adam experienced which is what death we get to receive get i'm using that word loosely sounds positive like it was a gift or something we get to receive freely the same experience for Adam's sin that he received because his sin was imputed to us and that is death now one example of imputation occurs with Paul when he wants Philemon to receive Onesimus and I'll just read this because it explains imputation so well so Onesimus wronged Philemon a man that Paul knew or more than likely had led to the Lord and paul wants to see philemon receive onesimus back or forgive him and listen to the way that paul wrote to philemon philemon 18 paul says if onesimus has wronged you at all or owes you anything charge that to my account and i will repay it in other words paul says impute that to me charge me whatever he owes you put that to my account i will repay whatever he owes And this resembles the double imputation that occurs with christ our sin is imputed or put to christ's account and then christ's righteousness is imputed or put to our account did you know that you receive christ's righteousness as freely as you received adam's sin they both work similarly those are both examples of free imputation that we've received and that's the heart of the gospel second corinthians 5 21 for our sake god made jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in jesus we might become the righteousness of god now for this morning's sermon let me say it two ways sin is imputed to people when they have knowledge of sin let me say that one more time sin is imputed to people when they have knowledge of sin sin is not imputed to people or at least not in the same way when they have no knowledge of sin and i want to give you some verses to support this look at romans 3 20. Romans 3.20. By works of the law, no human being will be justified or declared righteous in God's sight, since or because through the law comes knowledge of sin. Now the law that Paul's referring to is the Old Covenant law, or the Mosaic law, the law that was given to moses on sinai we've talked about this verse numerous times so i won't spend much time on it but the idea is the law reveals sin the law tells us that what we're doing is wrong you didn't know you're speeding till you go past the speed limit sign but the other side of this is that if the law reveals sin then without the law there is no sin look one chapter to the right at romans 4:15 for the other side of this if the law reveals sin then without the law there is no sin and i'll explain that more fully in a moment so look at romans 4:15. the law brings wrath but where there is no law there is no transgression or where there's no law there's no sin and the law brings wrath simply in that it reveals sin and whenever sin is revealed you've got god's wrath against it and so the law brings wrath in that it exposes sin which brings greater wrath from God. But where there's no law, there's no transgression or no sin. Now, this is the first of two times that Paul says something that can't be as literal as it sounds. In fact, I could have said something up to this point, and you kind of cringed, or you're already thinking, I'm going to come up and talk to Pastor Scott about this sermon because what he's saying can't be true. Well, you're right about that, that what we just read cannot be as literal as it sounds. We know that there was sin when there was no law or we know that there was sin before the law was given to Moses of Sinai what are some sins that come to mind that occurred before God gave the law to Moses of Sinai huh? we've got Cain and Abel we've got Sodom and Gomorrah we know in the New Testament drunkenness is a sin we've got Noah getting drunk so, what exactly does it mean when it says where there is no law, there's no transgression? It means that sin is not imputed where there is no law. Sin is not counted without the law. Look one chapter to the right. We'll start at Romans 5.12 for context. So, what exactly does it mean when Paul says in Romans 4.15, where there's no law, there's no transgression? It means sin is not imputed where there is no law. It is not counted without the law or counted against the person without the law. So Romans five twelve. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all men sinned. That might sound a little confusing, but it's simply describing what we've already talked about, that when Adam sinned, and we are his descendants, and his sin is imputed to us, it is as though all of us sinned. Or there's a sense in which all of us were bound up in Adam's body as his descendants, and so when we sinned, or when Adam sinned, it is as though we sinned too. So Adam's sin brought death to all men. But now look at verse 13, and this is the important part sin indeed was in the world before the law was given just like we talked about sin was in the world before the law was given cain murdering abel noah getting drunk sodom and gomorrah all existing before all sin existing or committed before the law was given but look at this but sin is not counted or some bibles say imputed where there is no law and this is what it means in romans 4 15 when it says where there is no law there is no transgression it means sin is not counted or not imputed where there is no law so there was sin in the world before god gave the law but it was not imputed prior to that now let's bring this back to babies we've discussed up to this point that babies are the picture of selfishness i've never argued that babies go to heaven because they don't do anything wrong And nobody could ever argue that babies go to heaven because they're perfectly righteous or because they do nothing selfish. They're the picture of selfish. They think only about themselves. They never pity their parents. They keep up all night. They don't feel bad about the messes they make. They throw fits. They yell. They scream when they don't get what they want. The only reason that your baby has not destroyed your home around you is simply because it doesn't have the strength to do so, right? When it's not getting what if you if your baby in that high chair had the strength when you were not giving him or her what he he or she wanted and that baby could grab you he would throw you across the room <laughs> there's no denying that baby's behavior is wrong we're not going to look at what they do and say it's acceptable so why are they not held responsible for their behavior for lack of a better way to say it how do we explain babies being so terrible but it not being held against them it's like we just read the law allows sin to be imputed but babies don't have the law that is why their sin is not imputed to them now if we go back to Romans five thirteen, this is the second thing that Paul said that cannot be as literal as it sounds because the, the moment that I said sin is not imputed prior to the law what did you say you're like well it looks like people were held accountable for their sin prior to the law I mean God was even punishing Gentiles like Pharaoh or punishing the Egyptians for their sin and let's say not putting the blood over the doorpost God definitely punished Cain for his sin and God definitely punished the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah for their homosexuality so what do you mean Pastor Scott when you say or when you read what Paul said because not really what I said Paul's the one who said it what exactly does Paul mean when he says that sin is not imputed without the law well we know from a previous sermon that even individuals who do not have the law and by law I mean Mosaic law still have another law Cain Noah if you want to say Pharaoh the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah did not have the Mosaic law but they still had what law their consciences we've talked about this right even if they Jews have the Mosaic law to condemn them Gentiles have their consciences Romans 2.14, Gentiles who do not have the law, listen to this, are a law to themselves. One more time. Genesis, or excuse me, sorry, Romans 2.14 says Gentiles who don't have the law are a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. Verse 15, their conscience bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or excuse them. So you've got Jews whose sin can be imputed to them because of the Mosaic law, and you've got Gentiles whose sin can be imputed to them because of their consciences, but as we talked, so in today's sermon, babies don't have the Mosaic law, and as we talked in a previous sermon, they don't yet have consciences, and if that, and if you hear me say that, if I say babies have consciences, and you say, what are you talking about, Pastor Scott, you can look up the earlier sermon that I preached on that exact topic, or come see me after service, and I'll explain that to you, that we have biblical evidence for babies not having consciences until they reach a certain age now john macarthur said that romans 5 12 to 14 is often overlooked because of its complexity john macarthur said romans 5 12 to 14 is often overlooked because of its complexity do you know what i read that and i thought we can do this <laughs> i'm confident in you guys other pastors are going to overlook this but i've got confidence that we can understand this and much of the complexity comes from what we've already talked about that paul says things that don't mean what they sound like they mean or much of the confusion comes from paul saying things that cannot be interpreted literally for example romans 5 12 it's not literal that there's no sin without the law paul in romans 5 12 paul says there's no sin without the law we know there's sin without the law that can't be taken literally that's confusing Romans 5.13, it's not literal that God doesn't impute sin without the law. We know God imputes sin without the law. So why did Paul write these two things that don't mean what they sound like? They mean? Why wouldn't Paul just say what he means? Why say things that are confusing or should not be interpreted literally? The answer is he had to say these things to build up to the point he wants to make in verse 14. Don't look there yet. <laughs> Some of you are like this. Okay, okay. because we gotta i gotta we've got to set up to understand verse 14. paul had to say these things that should not be taken literally to build up to the point he wants to make in verse 14. we're not going to look there right yet because i want to ask you three questions that are going to tie this together and help us and we will look at verse 14 but help us interpret that verse correctly in a moment so i'm going to ask you three questions that are going to bring us toward a good understanding of verse 14. now first question Based on Romans 3:20, what does the law bring? Based on Romans 3:20, what does the law bring or reveal? Sin. Based on Romans 3:20, what does the law bring? It brings sin or at least reveals it. Second question. What does sin bring? What are the wages of sin? Death. Third question. Now this is the tough question. If there's no law there's no sin if there's no sin what should there not be any of yeah let me say it one more time death is the answer but here's the question again if there's no law because the law brings sin without the law there should be no sin because sin brings death without sin there should be no death so if you have no law you have no sin if you have no sin you have no death so you have no law you shouldn't have any death in other words during human history there was one season without the law. There should not have been death. There was a season of time when there was no law and there should not have been death, and that was from Adam to Moses. From Adam to Moses, there should not have been death. Adam was given a law. Don't eat from the tree, right? That's the law. Adam. I mean, can you believe that? Talk about an easy law to obey. How do you mess that up? The entire law, one command. that was the whole law. Don't eat from the tree. Adam disobeyed that law then you get the law with Moses so you got 4000 BC is Adam 2500 BC is Moses or excuse me 1500 BC is Moses you got 2500 years from Adam to Moses with no law and from that season there should not have been death from Adam to Moses there should not have been death because there was no law no law to produce sin no sin to produce death but obviously there was still death so why was there still death during those 2500 years from Adam to Moses and that is the question paul answers in the next verse look at verse 14. yet or even though there should not have been death death still reigned from adam to moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of adam which simply means they didn't sin like adam sinned let me say this one more time or read it one more time paul says there was still death from Adam to Moses when it seems like there shouldn't have been even over those whose sin or whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam which simply means they didn't sin like Adam sinned in other words nobody after Adam ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and sinned like he did why were people dying when Adam sinned he disobeyed a direct command from God or he disobeyed the law after moses people sinned by disobeying a direct command or disobeying the law but all the people from adam to moses did not disobey any law because it hadn't been given yet but they still died because of original sin they died not only because this is what you're saying you're like well pastor scott they still have their own personal sin they committed they did but believe it or not that's not why they died They didn't die because of the personal sin they committed they died because of original sin or they died because they were adam's descendants now hypothetically even if people didn't sin they would still die because of original sin and this brings us to lesson four lesson four babies die because of original sin babies die because of original sin because you could have been wondering what in the world does this have to do with babies going to heaven this has much to do with babies going to heaven because i've been telling you that babies have not sinned now you know your bibles so you're listening to me And the moment i say hey babies haven't sinned babies are innocent babies can't choose between good and evil sin is not imputed to babies and because you know your bibles that sin produces death the moment i say all this about babies you're like then babies shouldn't die but babies still die even in the womb because of original sin they die because they're Adam's descendants or in other words they die for the same reason people died from Adam to Moses and this explains why Jesus interestingly there's one person in all of human history who should not have died because he was born of a woman but not of a man because Jesus because of the Virgin birth or because Jesus was born of a woman without being a descendant of Adam he is the individual to avoid original sin Or he is the individual who assuming he could stay sinless if jesus never committed a personal sin because he also did not receive original sin could have lived without or should have lived without ever dying now you know that i love types and we're going to conclude with one about jesus look at the rest of romans 5 14. It says adam who was a type of the one who is to come and this refers to jesus one more time adam who was a type of the one who was to come referring to jesus so adam was a type of jesus and i want to briefly explain the ways that adam is a type of jesus first adam and jesus were the only two people ever created without a sin nature because Jesus was not born of man biologically he had a human mother but God the Father was his father making Adam and Jesus completely unique to the rest of mankind being born without a sin nature second through one act both Adam and Jesus introduced unimaginable consequences for all of mankind in fact it would not be too much to say that what what two people in all of human history are the only ones who can claim that they have affected all of human history simply put adam and jesus each through one act adam by one act eating from the tree brought death to everyone jesus by one act dying on the cross brought life to all who believe in him The third way that Adam is a type of Jesus is they both freely give something. (laughs) You don't like what Adam gave you though, do you? You don't want it. Have you ever got a gift and you wish you could give it back? If I could talk to Adam, I'm like, keep your gift for yourself. You can have that. I don't want it. But Adam and Jesus are the two people to give something incredible, and I don't necessarily mean with Adam incredible in a good way, freely to us. Adam's sin nature and the consequence death is freely given or freely imputed to us. You're born with a sin nature that you didn't ask for. Jesus's righteousness can be freely given or freely imputed to us by faith. Look at our last verse, Romans 5.15. But the free gift, what Jesus gave us, is not like the trespass, the sin that Adam committed. For if many died through one man's trespass, that's Adam's sin, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man Jesus Christ abounded for many. So even though Adam and Jesus both give us something, what they give us is completely different. The gift of eternal life Jesus gives is the opposite of the sin-producing gift, death, that Adam gave us. Now to receive the sin nature that Adam gave you, what do you have to do? what do you have to do to receive the sin nature that Adam gave you be born yeah that's it but to receive the gift of Jesus eternal life requires something on your part you must do nothing to receive Adam's gift but to receive Jesus's gift of eternal life you must do something you must repent and believe then you can be born again if you have any questions or I can pray for you in any way I'll be up front after service and I'd consider it a privilege to speak with you father I thank you for the truths we read this morning I thank you for the gift that Christ gives us that allows us to be born again and be delivered from the gift and I use that loosely that we've received from Adam I thank you that you have delivered us from the consequences of his actions that have been imputed to us and that through faith in christ we can be saved from death from sin and its consequences born again sanctified and growing in our likeness with your son i pray lord i know we talked about a lot this morning i know much of it was very technical i think that they are important truths sadly that maybe as john MacArthur said some pastors uh, might shy away from but i pray that they're truths we could understand maybe we have to go back during the week and read over romans 5 12 to 14 a couple times to best understand it but I do thank you for the wonderful revelation you've given us in your word, Lord. I pray you bless the fellowship that follows at potluck time. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.